We, uh, um, we're just kickstarting here a new sermon series today uh, through the book of Jonah. And uh, uh, I'm excited to, to walk through this, this, uh, this book for you. Uh, when, when, when you hear about the book Jonah... There's some of you who are at different places in your walk with Jesus, and, and, and maybe you're new, new to uh, Jesus here, and so this is going to be really fresh. Um, this name means nothing to you, uh, and so it's all, all new. But to, to others of you, 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 when you hear Jonah, you, you think of flannel graphs and, uh, and, and uh, a whale of a tail. You might think of veggie tales and, uh, and movies of... Cucumbers and tomatoes uh, uh, singing in the belly of a of a big fish. Uh, Jonah is uh, a very popular story, and and popular to the point that sometimes we can we can miss the significance of this the the, the message. And there's depth in this message. Jonah is far more than a fish story. So much deeper. So much greater than that. In fact, it's not about fish at all. The story is really about Jonah either. As we're going to be walking through this, this epic tale, we're going to be encountering the kindness, unrelenting grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. His grace towards you. His grace towards those Far from him. His grace towards those you would consider enemies. And as we look through the book of Jonah here, as we get things kicked off, we're going to encounter the Almighty God and his kindness and goodness towards all people. As Tasso just read there, I'm going to read in English now. Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. If you have a Bible or Bible app, go ahead and turn there. We have Bibles underneath the chairs in front of you. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like the Bible, that Bible underneath the chairs, that's yours. Go ahead and take it, please. Jonah, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come before me. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, and so paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray as we uh, prepare to receive God's word. Holy Spirit, we, we come to you right now to seeking your help uh, to open our hearts. Meet us right where we're at, Lord. I thank you that God, you are God with us. Whether we're trying to shift gears from a stressful, overwhelming week, maybe it's from, from family, family crises or family tension and fights. Maybe there's heavy things, Lord God, that, 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 that seek to distract us. Lord, meet us where we're at. Lord, maybe, maybe we're just numb. Father, would you draw us into this, out of, our, out of ourselves, meet us where we're at, Lord God, that we would hear you and encounter you this morning. And Father, I need you to come upon me, 
And fill me, your broken servant, Lord, that I might declare your word, that that you might speak through me. Lord, change me. Change me, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. As we jump into the book today of Jonah, I want to give some, some kind of broad overview, to give us some background here to this story. There's a lot of things we might already feel like we know about this story, but there's insights and context that that really help us uh, more deeply understand what's going on in the book of of Jonah. We don't really know who wrote the book of Jonah. Uh, It's not clear that that Jonah himself wrote it. Uh, It could have been some other person who recorded uh, Jonah's tale, if you will, here. But it was written around, we believe, around the, the time of 760 B.C., 760 BC. And it was written especially for the Jewish people in that era and that time. It was, it was written to, to, to get to their hearts. It's, it's a special kind of story. One of the things that, that people have acknowledged when, when, when studying and researching and reading the book of Jonah, it's so well done. It's one of the greatest pieces of literature in the Bible, just in terms of how well it's written. Because it's written so well, so many people will dismiss it. Scholars will dismiss it that it can't have been authentic and it can't be historical because it's written so well and it's clearly intended to teach a point and to teach a message. But authors can capture history and facts and clearly communicate them in just well-designed ways in order for us to hear God speaking through them. Jonah is such a special book. One of the things that grounds it in history, it's not just a whale of a tale. It is historical. We see right off the bat here in the the first verses, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. We can locate Jonah in history. You can go to the book of 2 Kings chapter 14. We've got the verses here on the screen. In the 15th year of Judah's king Amaziah, the son of Joash, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned for 41 years. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, and he did not turn away from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, had caused Israel to commit. He restored Israel's border from Lebohamath as far as the Sea of the Arabah, according to the word of the Lord. The God of Israel had spoken through his servant the prophet Jonah, son of Amittai, from Gath Hefer. That, that really expanded my vocabulary there. That just really, really put me to the test there. But we see here in this time uh, 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 of King Jeroboam. King Jeroboam, we know, uh, again, this is historical. Uh, he reigned, uh, lived from uh, 793, 753. is the end of his reign and the end of his life. Uh, so uh, sad, sad, sad day there for Jeroboam. Um, so we can locate Jonah in the life here in the history of Israel. Historical man, we know he was a prophet. What does a prophet mean? A prophet means somebody that God gives direction. God speaks to with messages either that are to confront God's people, to, to, to correct them in their sin, or he speaks of things that are yet to come. It speaks, speaks of things that, that, that will happen in the future. 
And sometimes both of those things happen at the same time. And God's message for Jonah, his prophetic message, this message of correction, this time it wasn't for the people of Israel, but do you know who's it for? Who do you see here in the passage? Nineveh. Nineveh is not part of Israel. Nineveh is part of a nation called Assyria. This is my first time using the laser pointer, and I'm going to try to contain myself, all right? I'm going to try not to, like, point it at you guys out there. Um, This is going to be all kinds of fun here. So uh, this was Israel at that time, and Israel was divided into two kingdoms. And and, uh, 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 Jonah was part of a prophet in this northern kingdom called the kingdom of Israel at that time. Israel was all of this green and orange here. The southern kingdom was called the kingdom of Judah. Assyria existed at that time in this northern area. But Assyria was this growing empire, this growing nation. And it was always right up against uh, uh, the, the borders of Israel. And they were a threat, not just to Israel, but to all nations at this time. Assyria was this murderous, just gore-mongering kind of nation. They were known, they were known for their uh, 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 art of torture. Uh, they would, when, when they captured uh, an enemy, they would cut off the soldier's legs and one of their arms so that in mockery, they would shake the existing arm of the dying soldier as they celebrated their victory. They would take the heads of the soldiers and have the family members of those soldiers parade through the towns that they had conquered with their heads on a stick. The atrocities go, go, go on and on. They, they took things to another level. They, they, were, they were known as what was called a terrorist state. Assyria had already been encroaching. Nineveh was the large uh, a city, a great city, capital of the Assyrian Empire. Assyria had already begun to make its, pressure, its presence known in the life of Israel. And when, when Jonah was, was, was there, by, by uh, uh, requiring what they call tribute, what this means is essentially taxes. You pay us money, we don't kill you. Sounds like a good deal, right? It's pretty lopsided. But this tribute, these monies were to keep Assyria from coming in and laying siege to Israel and taking over the country. This was already in place in in Jonah's time. At 722 BC, Assyria would end up coming in and absolutely destroying the northern kingdom of Israel and taking captives with them back to Assyria. The Israelites had a lot of reasons to not like the Assyrians. Everybody had good reasons to not like the Assyrians in that era. The book of Jonah, as as it requires, as we get God's word to Jonah, to arise and go to Nineveh, is, is a unique message. Because many times, most often the prophets would speak to to the people of Israel themselves. And they would do so from the 
the, the sort of comfort of within the nation of Israel. But notice in the verses here, Jonah is called to arise, get up, and go. This murderous, like, gore-mongering nation, yeah, you're going to go to them. Go to them. You're going to go in their country, in their borders, as a Jew, and you're going to tell them they're evil and that the God of all creation calls out against you, repent or there's judgment coming. It's not exactly an exciting message. You're going to face the judgment of the Almighty God to take. Everybody repent. Not an exciting message for Jonah to take to this murderous, gore-mongering kind of nation. So you can imagine, what do you suppose Jonah's feeling as he receives this message from the Lord? Well, before we jump into the content further, we just lay out kind of a big picture. As we walk through the book of Jonah here over the next six weeks, this is kind of a roadmap. Jonah is carefully set up as two different stories, chapters 1 and 2, 3 and 4. And there's this, this pattern, this parallel pattern that happens in the book. We get the word of the Lord, Jonah's response to the word of God, or the the message, God's action towards Jonah, or toward the Ninevites, and then how Jonah responds to God, God's grace. In the first half, it's God's grace to himself. In the second half, it's God's grace to Nineveh. It's a very simple pattern, but that structure is important as we walk through the book of Jonah. Because the structure points out what's really important. The real, the real central character, the protagonist, the main, the main man in Jonah isn't Jonah. It's God. It's God and his grace. The themes that we're going to see as we walk through the book of Jonah, that, that it, 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 it powerfully illustrates for us is that God is a just God, but he's just and gracious. Not just to a certain kind of people, but to all people everywhere. And God, God is sovereign. What this means is that he will always accomplish his purposes. He will always accomplish his purposes. Even in our freedom to rebel and sin against him, he's powerful to work and use our sin, our brokenness, the things done to us, the things that we do. He's powerful to redeem all things to accomplish his purposes. And you know what? His purpose is always good. Some of you may be here today and you're going through circumstances and struggles and issues and, and, and trials. And, and maybe you're still just reeling in shock from things that are happening. Or maybe it's been around so long. Or maybe the trials and struggles are not just outside. It's within. And you're struggling with, with, with mental illness and depression. And, and, and you're struggling that there is there any meaning in what I'm going through. Yes. The story of Jonah gives us a resounding yes. God is at work in all things. And working for your good. Working for his glory. 
which is always our good. Let's look at the message, the command that God gives to Jonah here. We're going to unpack this the rest of our time here. So we got the word of the Lord comes to Jonah. Arise and go. Go to the city of Nineveh and cry out against it. So Jonah, it's another day for the prophets. The prophets, ironically, they would be what was called the prophets guild. They'd hang out together down by the river, literally. So you've got them and a caravan down by the river. And Jonah is eating government cheese, receives the word of the Lord. Probably not government cheese. Maybe it was some flatbread or something. I'm not sure what they had there. But they're in a caravan. They got the prophets together. Down by the river, Jonah receives the message from God. Get up, leave, and go to this place, Nineveh. It's an unprecedented call from God unprecedented. Not only would this be uncomfortable for Noah or Jonah, but this would be a little bit suspect even from the the, the other prophets or, or other Israelites. He's going there to declare this message. Like God speaks to his people. There's occasionally throughout the Old Testament that God will prophesy through a prophet on the comfort of the land of Israel saying God is going to judge you and your, your nation is going to fall and it's going to be uh, uh, destroyed because of its evil. And that's kind of a nice, comfortable opportunity, you know, job. Comfortable word from the Lord. But no, no, this one is go to Nineveh. Go to Nineveh. Speak against its evil. What's classic here, for many of us who know the message of Jonah, Jonah's response. His response maybe wouldn't surprise any of us, and, 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 and that's part of the, the, the point here, is that we really connect and resonate with Jonah. So his response is not that he's like, oh, yes, Lord, you're wise, and you're good, and you're God, and I'm not, and I'll, I trust you. You're wise. I'm going to obey you, Lord. Here we go. Here we go. No complaints from me. Verse 3. But Jonah rose. That part he obeyed. He did get up. To flee from the presence of God. Running away from God's command. Jonah's like, I'm out. Oh, no. If you need to understand, Tarshish, where Jonah was in Israel, and where Nineveh is, it's like Nineveh's over here, Tarshish is that way. And not only is it in the opposite direction that Jonah's running and heading, Jonah was going to get on a ship to head to Spain to get even further away from Nineveh as far as he possibly could. How about that for obedience, right? Any of you responded to, to God's word, to God's message to you, to God's call for obedience, or maybe it's to share his love, his forgiveness with someone 
who's hurt you, you don't like, or he asks you to do something in his word that that just doesn't kind of resonate with you, and you've gone the other way. Have you done that? You're not alone. In some way, we're all like Jonah. But why does Jonah flee? What's going on here? It wasn't that Jonah was directionally challenged. He just didn't quite get that orientation class and he can't figure out the compass. I don't know about you guys. Anybody here can right off the bat know where's east, west, north, and south? Anybody? All right, some of you can. I didn't see all of you raise your hands. I know, see, the only way I know is this building is like a compass. That's north and that's south. Sometimes I call that north, though, and that's south. And that kind of gets things messed up. Jonah wasn't directionally challenged. That's not his problem. He knew which way to go. Maybe he was afraid of being tortured and killed. I think that's a legitimate fear. Yeah? I mean, knowing what we know about the Ninevites, that would be a legitimate reason. Like, who, would, you know, who wouldn't blame him going to this you know, murderous nation who makes it an art and joy to torture people and, 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 to, and, and to shame them? Uh, uh, I, that doesn't sound like a, a happy day to me. That's not even the reason why Jonah doesn't go. It's, it's deeper than that. We don't see the reason right off the bat here in verse 3, but we have to look at later in the book of Jonah. The Jonah himself gives us insight into why, what was his motives? Why does he run away from the presence of God? Why does he run away from obeying the Lord and trusting him and following his word? Jonah 4.2, God's asking Jonah, because Jonah's having a pity party. Jonah's wallowing in, 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 in anger towards God. And God's like, what's up? What's going on, Jonah? And Jonah talks to the Lord. He prays to the Lord. He says, oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. What's Jonah getting at here? What's he talking about? You see, when Jonah, his message was, go to, go to Nineveh, tell him that, 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 that the God who created all the that message of judgment that God gave to Jonah, Jonah knew this message of, rep- of, of judgment was a message with an opportunity for Nineveh to repent, to change, and turn towards the one true God. God's, God's correction of us, God's instructions for us, God's, God's, God's confronting us is always good, friends. He, 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 sin that, 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 that plagues us, the sin that tempts us, always, always communicates to us that, that this is something good. The sin that God is the threat, and the sin in our lives, the self-centeredness, the selfishness, whether it's lying or lust or gossip or, or just self-reliance, uh, whatever it may be, the, the expression of this Sin, that temptation is that God is not good, but these things 
of this earth, these things that feed ourselves and make us God, these are good. God's message of repentance and correction to the Ninevites was an opportunity for salvation. Jonah knew that. Jonah knew that if he brought the message, there was a chance God would show them grace. Because the nation of Israel, God's people, had received these kinds of messages before, and they'd received God's grace over and over and over again, that God is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and abounding in love. And maybe you've been in that place where in your own struggles, your sin and selfishness, your anger, sexual struggles and temptations, the insecurity, anxiety, where he keeps coming back and you keep giving into it over and over. But God is patient and kind. And he keeps pursuing you. He doesn't reject you. He keeps pursuing you in his son on the cross who paid for our sin. God kept pursuing Israel and Jonah knew if they get this message, God might show grace. And I don't want them to experience God's grace. I want them to die. They're evil. This would be like God speaking to Benjamin Netanyahu in Israel right now and in communicating, Bibi, that's his nickname, Bibi, I want you to take the message of repentance to Hamas. I want you to go into the Gaza Strip. I want you to go into the North Kingdom and I want you to take a message. The God who created you sees your sin. And he says, repent. He says, turn. You're not just destroying others, you're destroying yourselves. The God of all things says, turn. Can you imagine? The prime minister of Israel right now doing something like that. That's absurd, right? They're laying siege to the, 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 the northern strip of Gaza right now to, to retaliate, to secure their freedom from this terrorist group, Hamas. This is the nature of the gospel. This is the nature of God and his character and his good news. That God steps towards those who are sinners who even hate him, who rebel against him, who shake their fist in his face. And that's what Jonah was even doing. Yet God is kind. Paul explains this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but are freely justified by his grace. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his, God's enemies, God reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. You see, we are all Nineveh. All of us are God's enemies in our sin. Jonah had forgotten that even Israel had deserved God's justice, but he was kind. Jonah was bitter, self-centered, and prejudiced. That's what kept him from going. He wasn't seeking his safety. It's because he wanted them to burn in hell. That's heavy, guys. 
No, you, good thing, you and I are not like that, right? None of us here are like that. Or wait, maybe, maybe that's why the book of Jonah was written and captured. Because we are. And we need to hear this message. You see, it was written to the Jews at that time because they were precisely where Jonah was at. Any other other Israelite would have done the same thing that Jonah did. You've got to be wrong, God. You've been right about a lot of things, God. Most things I'll say. This one, you're definitely off. I know better, and so I'm going to run away from you. The irony is, he should know. Can you run away from God? The God who created all the, can you run away from him? Okay, we try. We all do in some way, shape, or form. We just kind of numb ourselves. We, we, we cut it off. We, we, we distance ourselves from, from, from being, coming to church or, or being in the Word. or in prayer. We, we find ways to distance ourselves. We run from God. He, he will never stop pursuing us. Even in the darkness, he is there. says, David. And he knew it because he had committed murder and adultery. And he met God in that darkness. Douglas Stewart says this about Jonah. In ancient Judaism, the book Jonah served as a bulwark against the narrow particularism that allowed Jews to think they alone were worthy of God's blessing while other people were not. But this, this was not true. In God's word, repeatedly, he tells the nation of Israel, I'm blessing you so you will bless all nations, all people. I want them to know me, the one true God, the one who made them. I want them to know me through you. You are the means. Psalm 67 says this, May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine upon us so, so that your way may be known in all the earth and your salvation among all nations. This was written, Jonah. They had these. these this was a worship song that Jonah sung uh, in the synagogue on, on Saturdays. The blessing of God was always meant for all nations. But you know, something happens in our head and our hearts, right? That that gets, that gets blocked. And we can kind of compartmentalize that God's goodness is for me, but it's not for other people. It stops with, with me. Sometimes we're overtly defiant that we're not going to share the gospel. We're not going to show God's love. I'm not going to forgive that person who hurt me. There's a lot of people, a lot of people that we can think of that may come to mind of like, I, I, we struggle with forgiving them, right? People who've wounded us and hurt us deeply. God has forgiven us, but we withhold forgiveness for them. Part of that's because we misunderstand forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean trust with abusers. Forgiveness takes time. It's not like it's something we just rush into. But that forgiveness is to set us free as well as the others. Because God has forgiven us. We are to forgive like he's forgiven you and I. We're to take the good news. We're to hope that all would be saved. That's God's heartbeat because that was God's heart towards you and me. 
The message of Jonah is who will we follow? Will we follow Jonah? Or will we seek to become like God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness and forgiveness? Leslie Allen, another Bible scholar, says this, the greatness and goodness of God are enhanced against the background of Jonah's meanness and malevolence. Look out at the world, pleads the author, at God's world, see it through God's eyes, and let your new vision overcome your natural bitterness, your hardness of soul. Let the divine compassion flood your own hearts. Is that not good? That's the invitation as we get into this book here. Let the divine compassion flood our hearts. Who are people that we would seek to withhold God's love from? That we would not pray for? Would it be Hamas? Would it be Muslims? Would it be certain people from our growing up? Would it be a co-worker? Would it be a family member, an ex-spouse, child or a parent? Would it be someone across the political aisle? Maybe an LGBTQ activist who says, you don't love unless you celebrate these lifestyles. People who might be a threat to the gospel. We're tempted to withhold God's compassion. And yet God loves all our enemies, because you know what? We were once his enemies. God's love for you isn't meant to stop with you. You know, in Israel, there's this thing called the Dead Sea. As you notice on the Israel, uh, uh, on this side of Israel, there's this thing called the Jordan River, and there's this pool, and it's called the Dead Sea. And, and the reason why it's called dead, one of, the, one of the reasons, well, there's nothing that grows there. There's no outlet. It's only an inlet. It only receives, but it doesn't give. How are you hoarding the grace of God? How are you and I hoarding God's kindness and goodness, his forgiveness, and not extending it to others, not extending the hope of the good news of salvation to others who are headed to hell? This may not be overt. This may not be, again, like, I want people to go to hell. But we do this selfishly by just staying in our own comfort. Like, God, I don't, it's, 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 it's awkward to talk about you, Jesus. Yes, it always will be awkward to talk about Jesus because Satan doesn't want people to hear about Jesus. He wants them to burn in hell. I don't want to forgive I'm afraid that, 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 that this perpetrator, this person who hurt me, won't receive justice. And God says, I will take care of justice. Jesus says, look at me. I will take that justice on me. Just like I took the justice towards you on me. I will take it. You can trust me to be just. Their sin will be judged. You can forgive. Today, we celebrate communion. 
And, and this celebration of communion is, is, is an opportunity for us to reflect on that grace that God has given us. God is gracious and just to all people everywhere. And we come to this table to be reminded his body was punished. He took hell in my place. He's shown me grace. I deserve hell. He showed kindness to me. His blood was shed to wash me so there's no record to forgive me. That, that he looks on me and he looks on you and he says, you're my daughter whom I love. You're my son whom I love. Not my enemy who deserves my justice. You're my family. Receive my embrace. My dad, he just celebrated 82 years yesterday. Happy birthday, dad. One year after he was born, his mother died. And his dad remarried. And it was kind of like this, this uh, Cinderella story. It was like the wicked stepmother. Brought in, she had a couple of her own kids, brought that into the marriage. And, and my dad and his two sisters were abused. The sisters were abused emotionally and physically. And he was emotionally shamed and abused. And for the longest time, I mean, he just, he never dealt with that. It wasn't until about, it was about 15 years ago or so. He got the word that his stepmother had received Jesus Christ. He was not happy. He was not happy. He was angry. I mean, bitter, angry. That woman had taken so much from them. She deserved to burn. She deserved justice. My dad was not happy. And he explained this to us. I respect my dad so much. He's gone through so much in his life. He wrestled with God. And it was only on his knees and encountering and being reminded of God's kindness to him. And it took time. This isn't just you're right there all, all overnight. And maybe that happens for some, but it took time. And he wrestled, wrestled with God. But he was able to come to a point to be able to thank God that he saved her. And he showed her the grace that God had showed him. As we come to the communion table, we come to reflect, friends, to receive his grace that we can be liberated. Liberated to share it, to give it to others. I want to ask you to reflect on these questions here. How are you and I like Jonah? How are we like Jonah? 
I'll obey God as long as I agree. I'll forgive as long as I like them. I'll share the gospel as long as it's comfortable and it benefits me. How can you and I be like God to others, especially our enemies or those who have hurt us, to be gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness? Let's, let's be clear. We can't without God in us. Who are you withholding God's grace from? We come to this table to be cleansed. All of us need this forgiveness and the work of the Lord. We come this morning. His conviction means freedom. Means love. Love coming into us and love flowing through us. We will never know the full extent of God's grace until we give it to others who don't deserve it. Ourselves. I'm going to have the worship team come on forward here. As we celebrate communion this morning, Jesus reminds us, he set this up to do this continually because he knew we needed a reminder, a physical, tangible reminder of his goodness. We needed to to physically receive because we needed that that car, that battery to get jump-started. We need the power of God. It's not that these things have power in and of themselves. There's nothing, Jesus isn't in the crackers. Jesus isn't in the grape juice. We don't have gluten-free Jesus. This is symbolic, but the act, God is in this act of us coming to him and receiving his body broken for you, his blood shed for you. He's in that. When we talk with him, the father is here and he's beckoning you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, come to this table. But if you're not, he says, come to the first, for the first time. Come now. Come and receive my undeserved love for you. You don't need to clean yourself up. You don't need to make things right. I make you right. I clean you. I forgive you. I give you a new name. Come to the table. Come to the family. If you're in a place today where you're like, you know what, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not quite ready, that's all right. Just let this pass you by. 